0: Welcome to Rock and Roll Flashback with your hosts, Jumpin' John McDermott and Bill Price. Hi there, and welcome to Rock and Roll Flashback. I'm Jumpin' John, and we'll be looking back at some of rock and roll's greatest artists, songs, and stories. Today's podcast is called Psychedelia in the 1960s and 1970s, Part 2. I will be discussing the emerging music and musicians of the psychedelic rock era, as well as the related music forms that have come to be known as heavy metal and progressive rock. Also, be sure to check out our companion podcast, Psychedelia in the 1960s and 1970s Part 1, which deals with the relationship between psychedelia and the counterculture movement. 1950s rock and roll was dominated by clean guitar sounds and upright bass and often, but not always, some drums. However, guitar effects were in existence at that time and had been occasionally used in performances and in recordings. That was a comparison between a clean guitar sound and the sound from an amplifier with built-in tremolo. That was a comparison between a clean guitar sound and the sound from an amplifier with built-in reverb. Nathan Daniel created the first guitar amplifier with vibrato in 1947, the year he founded the Dan Electro Company. Multivox and Gibson may have beaten Dan Electro to the market with tremolo-equipped amps. A 1947 Multivox ad promotes the company's new model by saying, and I quote, guitarists, you owe it to yourself to try the new Premier 66 tremolo amplifier, end quote. Gibson's GA-50T from 1948 was also one of the first amps to feature a built-in tremolo effect. Fender's first tremolo amp was 1955's Tremolux. Les Paul, the renowned electric guitar and recording pioneer, may have used a subtle tremolo effect on his 1946 recording of Sweet Hawaiian Moonlight. Muddy Waters played through a tremolo effect on his 1953 song, Flood. Bo Diddley made tremolo a centerpiece of his sound using a dearmand unit on his 1955 hits, Bo Diddley, Diddley, Daddy, and Pretty Thing. By the late 1950s, electric tremolo had taken off. Duane Eddy incorporated it in many of his recordings. He obtained a dearmaged unit in 1957 and used it on Rebel Rouser the following year. His other tremolo-based songs included Stalking, Cannonball, The Lonely One, and 40 Miles of Bad Road. Also in 1958, Link Ray recorded Rumble, where you can hear the effect being turned on in the final portion of the song. As music evolved in the 1960s, an entirely new wave of tremolo and reverb infused amps, effect pedals, and guitar recordings were created. Keep checking back for upcoming podcasts dealing with influential instrumental bands of the 1950s and 1960s. Then came psychedelic rock. (laughs) In a sense, psychedelic rock developed around the same time that artists began favoring albums over singles, as stereo was replacing mono recordings, and as FM radio was offering better sound quality than AM radio. This was a natural evolution of pop music. The Beatles and other bands were becoming much more creative and experimental with their music. In Psychedelia in the 1960s and 1970s Part 1, I proposed that as pop music evolved in the 1960s, psychedelic rock music usually incorporated one or more of five main features. First, studio experimentation. Second, special electronic audio effects and distortion, particularly influenced by various effects pedals. Third, introduction of atypical instruments, such as the sitar, Moog synthesizer, the Mellotron, and the electrotheremin. Fourth, extended solos and improvisation. And fifth, Lyrics with protest and drug reference. First, let's discuss studio experimentation. Songs in the psychedelic rock era began having much more disjunctive song structures, keys, and tempos. Brian Wilson exploited this in the Beach Boys song, Good Vibrations. Songs started having more unusual signature changes, modal melodies, and drones, than found in contemporary pop music. You can certainly hear the drone sound in Tomorrow Never Knows by the Beatles. Elaborate studio effects were often used. In 1966, Beatles producer George Martin and engineer Jeff Emmerich began experimenting with backwards tapes. In addition to Tomorrow Never Knows, the Beatles' song entitled Rain, which was also recorded during revolver sessions, was the first pop recording to contain reversed sounds. Together with further studio tricks such as Very Speed, the song Rain also includes a droning melody that reflected the band's growing interest in non-Western musical form and lyrics. In 1968, Moody Blues producer Tony Clark and engineer Derek Barnalls took advantage of DECA Studios' custom-built four-track recording console. With it, they created a wide stereo ping-pong effect, panning the music from one side to another of the stereo track. In the Moody Blues song, The Best Way to Travel, starting at the 107 mark, one can hear the Mellotron sliding from speaker to speaker. Then at the 119 mark, a high-pitched scratching sound also moves from speaker to speaker and re-emerges, panning with a beeping sound, later in the song. Studios began using the swooshing sound of electronic phasing, long delay loops, and extreme reverb. Time Has Come Today by the Chambers Brothers is just one example. Second, the explosion of special electronic audio effects and distortion. Starting with the early innovations by Les Paul, the electric guitar has been the instrument that many musicians have used to create colorful new sounds in pop music. From the 1960s on, the creation and refinement of new sounds for the electric guitar and keyboards have often relied on effects units. These effects were either built into the amp or engaged in the form of effects pedals. Pedals have also been called stomp boxes since they sit at floor level, waiting for the musician to stomp on them to engage or remove the effect. As musicians began experimenting with various effects pedals and the Moog synthesizer, electric guitars were often used with feedback, fuzz box, and wah-wah effects units. Many electric guitars had built-in pitch adjustment arms, sometimes referred to as whammy bars or Bigsby vibrato bars or Fender synchronized tremolo bars. These arms, in combination with effects pedals, took guitar distortion and pitch modulation to a whole new level. Jimi Hendrix and Jeff Beck began literally bending all of the tremolo rules. Additionally, starting with 1964's I Feel Fine intro by the Beatles, many artists began experimenting with feedback. As a comparison between a clean guitar sound and the fuzz sound of a big muff pedal. In 1962 Gibson introduced the first commercially popular fuzz box, Gibson's Maestro FZ1 fuzz tone. Keith Richards used a fuzz tone on the Rolling Stones 1965 hit, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, which boosted the effects popularity. It initially retailed for around $40 and gave guitarists a chance to experiment with distortion effects. Other manufacturers followed Gibson's lead and new fuzz pedal offerings took the music scene by storm in the late 1960s. Popular examples were the Sola Sound Tone Bender and the Electro Harmonix LBP-1, which would later evolve into the Big Muff Pi. David Gilmour can be heard using the Big Muff on Pink Floyd's Animals and the Wall. Another classic model was the Arbiter Fuzz Face, featured throughout the Jimi Hendrix Experience's 1967 debut album, Are You Experienced?, with songs like Foxy Lady and Purple Haze. That was a comparison between a clean guitar sound and the wah-wah sound of Dunlop's crybaby pedal. By rocking the wah-wah's treadle back and forth, sound sweeps up and down the frequency spectrum of an instrument. This is similar to turning the tone knob on an electric guitar back and forth while playing. This action can produce vowel-like sounds similar to human speech. The original Wawa design was created in November 1966 by Brad Plunkett at the Thomas Organ Company, and soon after, the crybaby wah soared in popularity. The Wawa can be heard on Isaac Hayes' classic theme from the film Shaft, Eric Clapton on Cream's White Room and Tales of Brave Ulysses, Jimmy Page on Led Zeppelin's Dazed and Confused, And Jimi Hendrix's Voodoo Child, Slight Return are other wah-wah examples that really show the beauty of this expressive guitar effect. The emerging psychedelic rock scene saw distorted effects everywhere, from songs like The Yardbirds' Shapes of Things featuring Jeff Beck, to bands like Steppenwolf, Fire and Butterfly, Cream, and more. Gear manufacturers would see the potential for growth in the effects market and sales took off. According to the 2014 NAMM Global Report, effects pedals represent a $60-plus million a year portion of the $7 billion music products market. More than a million pedals and effects devices are now purchased annually, creating a multitude of distorted sounds. Third, there was the introduction of atypical instruments such as the sitar, Moog synthesizer, the Mellotron, and the Electrothermin. Exotic instrumentation and non-Western instruments, specifically those originally used in Indian classical music such as the sitar, tambura, and tabla, became common. Elements of Indian music and other Eastern music, including Middle Eastern modalities, were being used. The Beatles' Norwegian wood from the December 1965 album Rubber Soul marked the first released recording on which a member of a Western rock group played the sitar. The song sparked a craze for the sitar and other Indian instrumentation, a trend that fueled the growth of raga rock as the Indian exotic became part of the essence of psychedelic rock. Other examples include the music of Ravi Shankar, Donovan's Hurdy Gurdy Man, the Kinks See My Friends, and the Moody Blues In Search of the Lost Chord album. Musicians also began experimenting with new electronic instruments. In 1967, the Monkees used a Moog synthesizer in their album, PC's Aquarius, Capricorn, and Jones LTD, and the Doors used one in their Strange Days album. In 1968, Wendy Carlos used a Moog synthesizer in his Grammy Award-winning album, Switched On Bach. In 1969, the Beatles used a Moog in their Abbey Road album, and other rock bands like the Grateful Dead, the Rolling Stones, and Emerson, Lake, and Palmer incorporated the Moog into their repertoire. The Electro Theremin was prominent in the Beach Boys' 1966 song, Good Vibrations. The electrothermin is an electronic instrument that is played by moving both hands without touching the instrument. For more discussion about this unusual electronic instrument, please check out our Brian Wilson Part 2 podcast. Many psychedelic rock bands had a strong keyboard presence using electronic organs, harpsichords, or the Mellotron, which was an early tape-driven sampler keyboard. Steppenwolf, Deep Purple, Yes, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and others often prominently featured the keyboard. The Moody Blues and King Crimson made ample use of the mellotron, while the Beatles used the mellotron in the recordings of Strawberry Fields Forever and I Am a Walrus. For more discussion about the Moody Blues and the mellotron, please check out our Moody Blues Part 2 podcast. Fourth, extended solos and improvisation. There was often a strong emphasis on extended instrumental segments or jams, both in concerts and in the studio. Some of the jams included elements of free-form jazz. The Grateful Dead were famous for extended instrumental segments. Another example of a band with guitar solos and jams were the Yardbirds, known for their rave-ups and hyperactive instrumental breaks. Soon it seemed as if almost every band was playing an extended song. Cream's Spoonful, Blind Faith's Had to Cry Today and Do What You Like, The Doors, Light My Fire, Iron Butterflies, and Agata Da Creedence Clearwater Revival, Susie Q, and so on. Fifth, Lyrics with Protest and Drug Reference. Early rock and roll lyrics tended to be rather bland. However, a few songs were spiced up with sexual innuendo. In the early 1950s, songs like Work With Me Annie and Roll With Me Henry kept the Federal Communications Commission busy due to their sexually explicit lyrics. Prior to 1960, there were also numerous songs of protest by folk singers like Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger. Starting in 1962 with Bob Dylan and continuing in 1965 with Barry McGuire's Eve of Destruction, the anti-establishment wave that was sweeping America led to new songs of protest. Examples include Mercy, Mercy Me by Marvin Gaye, Give Peace a Chance by the Plastic Ono Band, Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud by James Brown, Fortunate Son by Creedence Clearwater Revival, Ohio by Crosby, Steele's Nash & Young. Also in the 1960s, lyrics were popping up that may or may not have made direct or indirect reference to hallucinogenic drugs. Musicians attempted to reflect the experience of taking LSD in their music, as was being done in psychedelic art, literature, and film. This trend ran in parallel in both America and Britain and as part of the interconnected folk and rock scenes. Just a few examples Are Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds by The Beatles, Legend of a Mind by The Moody Blues, Sunshine Superman by Donovan, Eight Miles High by The Birds, White Rabbit by The Jefferson Airplane, Crystal Blue Persuasion by Tommy James and the Shondells. As pop music began incorporating psychedelic sounds, the genre emerged as a mainstream and commercial force. Although psychedelia was introduced in Los Angeles through the birds, San Francisco emerged as the movement's capital on the West Coast. Several California-based folk acts followed the birds into folk rock, bringing their psychedelic influences with them. This produced what became known as the San Francisco Sound. By early 1966, promoter Bill Graham had secured booking at the Fillmore where in-house psychedelic themed light shows replicated the visual effects of the psychedelic experience. Graham became a major figure in the growth of psychedelic rock, attracting most of the major psychedelic rock bands of the day to the Fillmore. On December 4, 1965, the Grateful Dead was said to have introduced acid rock in front of a crowd of concertgoers in San Jose, California. Their stage performance involved the use of strobe lights to reproduce the effects of an LSD trip. This was the second acid test held by novelist Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. The acid test experiments subsequently launched the entire psychedelic subculture. Psychedelic rock had become an international musical movement associated with a widespread counterculture movement. It reached its peak in the last years of the decade. From 1967 to 1968, it was the prevailing sound of rock music, either in the whimsical British variant or the harder American West Coast acid rock. Milestone events included the 1967 Summer of Love and the 1969 Woodstock Rock Festival, which saw performances by most of the major psychedelic acts, including Jimi Hendrix. Janis Joplin, Jefferson Airplane, and Santana. However, by the end of the 1960s, psychedelia began to decline as changing attitudes, the loss of some key individuals, and a back to basics movement led surviving performers to move into new musical areas. LSD was declared illegal in the US and UK in 1966. The trend of exploring psychedelia and music faded and many rock musicians had returned to rock and roll's origins. Psychedelic rock had mirrored the counterculture hippie movement scene making sex, drugs, and rock and roll a common identifier of the 60s and 70s. The psychedelic rock genre bridged the transition from early blues and folk-based rock, to hard rock, heavy metal, and progressive rock. The distorted guitar sounds, extended solos, and adventurous compositions of psychedelic rock easily morphed into heavy metal styles that emerged and tended to emphasize blues progression. Two former guitarists with the Yardbirds, Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page, moved on to form key acts in the new blues rock heavy metal genre The Jeff Beck Group and Led Zeppelin, respectively. Other major pioneers of the heavy metal genre had begun as blues based psychedelic bands, including Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and Judas Priest. Many musicians during the post psychedelic era adopted a stricter sense of professionalism and elements of classical music, as evinced by the concept albums of Pink Floyd and the instrumentation of. Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, The Moody Blues, and Yes. Many of the British musicians and bands that had embraced psychedelia moved into creating the progressive rock genre in the 1970s. The core seven albums of The Moody Blues and King Crimson's album In the Court of the Crimson King in 1969 were important links between psychedelia and progressive rock. Another development of the post-psychedelic era was more freedom with marketing of the artist and their records, such as with album artwork. This has been Rock and Roll Flashback, a look at psychedelia in the 1960s and 1970s, Part 2, the emerging music and musicians of the psychedelic rock era, as well as the related music forms that have come to be known as heavy metal and progressive rock. Be sure to check out our companion podcast, Psychedelia in the 1960s and 1970s Part 1, where I discuss the relationship between psychedelia and the counterculture movement. I'm Jumpin' John McDermott. And until next time, rock on, rock on, rock on, rock on, rock on.